לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כה רמה, מאה ושתיים שלוש, מה אישים? קיץ באוויר. רדיו כה רמה, מאה ושתיים Hello, this is Eli Shema Malamit, and welcome to Parsha Talk, a new cycle of Torah with your favorite three guys. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eli Shema Malamit. I'm Eli Shema Malamit. Yes, so. We are so happy to have you here in Dubai. Well, Shalom again, and welcome to a special edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Eli Malamit. I'll park the Heil Park Desert from the Frank H. Nachim, and joining me, my good friend, Rabbi Barry Chesler. In New York City, well, we ended the Torah, we started it again, it, I, 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 sorry, I get so emotional, <laughs> it's an emotional milestone, it's an emotional milestone in, in the Jewish year, I really, really think that this is the beginning, forget Rosh Hashanah, forget Yom Kippur, The real beginning is the beginning of the cycle. Again, this is one of the great you know, spiritual marks of genius in, the Jewish, in Judaism, that, that your year is coterminous with a, with a book. I, I think that's just amazing. And, and can we just spend one second talking about renewing ourselves to the book and, and, and in saying that we're starting the book anew. Uh, Barry, you said, you talk about your mother. Your mother... used to be a teacher and she would they would complain to her you know it's the same material every year go ahead and she would say that the text may be the same but you're different and I think that you know pagan religion the one of the dominant motifs is the circle of life the circles come and go in their season and there's always a renewal of And I think there's something profound that we begin with a, a text, that our cycle is a text cycle, that what we do is not watch the seasons change and come back to where they were so much as we begin reading the book again. Because we are different every year, and every year there's something new to be found in the text, and perhaps more importantly, in ourselves. So this is a um, a story big in in Chabad you know that the the original Rebbe of Chabad Schneer Zaman of Liadi was uh, was imprisoned a couple of times by the Czar they were they liked him or they didn't like him I don't remember exactly uh, which of the which they liked the him in prison they, they liked him in prison although uh, well whatever it doesn't matter but he, he was in prison a couple of times and there's a story that That he's being interrogated by a uh, one of one of the Russian guys who is like a serious Christian and he wants to challenge him about something in in the Torah and and, and it happens to be from our parasha that when Adam uh, at first sins and and eats from the tree then they hear God you know kind of strolling through the garden God is Mithalech Bagan and they hide among the trees and God says Ayeka where are you and he The interrogator says to the Rebbe, um, well, how kind of silliness is this? What, how is it that God would have to ask a question to know where a human being is hiding? And Shneir Zaman of Liadi says to him, uh, do you believe that the Bible speaks to you in your life? He says, absolutely. He said, well, Ayeka 
is the question that everybody is asked every day. Where are you? And that's that's like just such a beautiful poetic reading of it, but also it illustrates exactly what Barry just said. Uh, Ayeka, the Torah, as we read in this week's parasha, poses and, and says, where are you? The answer is going to be different this year than last year, the next year than the year before that. Okay, so so I, part of the reason why I'm asking this question is because, you know, we've just come off the holidays and, and you know, I, I, for us, it's, and for, for, I think, many people in our congregations, and communities, it's it's you know exhausting, and and people people said we're, we're shuled out, we're shuled out, okay. And the question is, how do you bring yourself to to kind of awaken yourself something new? And I think that that you've given I think uh, the key, which is to begin to ask a, a, a question and to find any question and to find a new source of questions. I think part you know part of the the key to finding something new is to engage a person, Ellie Sheff, was just in the picture, you know, having someone outside of your, your milieu to ask a question and, and, and the wild card question. So, I, I, you know, if I may preempt here, the, we got a wild card question, which, which I don't think any of us have thought about until we start thinking about it, which is the first word. The first word of the Torah is Bereshit, Baray Elohim. And the first word is chanted with a tipcha. I, I mean, we've thought about it, maybe. Bereshit Elohim. The tipcha is a, is a, kind of, is a disjunctive accent. Uh, for those who are new to the study of the trope, there are basically two categories of accents. There are conjunctive and disjunctive. A conjunctive is like it, it joins it together. A disjunctive is like, a, you know, it separates. It's, 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 a, it's a comma. It's a stop or a full stop. So Bereshit comes with a disjunction. It's a stop. And, and that, I think, opens us up to possibilities. And one possibility is that it's stop after the first word. I love that. I love that idea. Stop after the first word. Jeremy, mysticism. I'm queuing yeah. you up here. Give me some, you you, drop you, some you, mysticism you, for me. You're giving us the... Uh... You like it's like in basketball, the alley oop pass, and then oh somebody... my god, this is like, or you know, yeah. I'm passing the puck to you for a slap shot. Oh, on the net. I, I don't even, I can't skate, so I don't know. <laughs> this is it's a breakaway, it's a breakaway, it's a breakaway goal. Um, you, you, you sort of a big, a big love hanging curve, hanging curve. Uh, no, so. If you look at that phrase, Bereshit bara Elohim, the rabbis, actually the Talmudic rabbis, were anxious. There's a legend that when they translated it into Greek, Ptolemy, the, the king of the Greek king of Egypt, put 70 rabbinic scholars in 70 different locker rooms, and they all came back with the identical translation because they, one of the things they wanted to do was um, was uh, uh, make sure you don't think the wrong things about this or that. And so this Bereshit bara Elohim was one of the things that bothers them. And in translate Megillah, it says they all reordered it, so it's clearly that Elohim bara Bereshit, that God created in the beginning. Because if you just read the words Bereshit bara Elohim, is it possible that the word Elohim is not the active subject, the one who did the creating, but the thing that was created? That in the beginning, something created Elohim? Well, as a matter of fact, the, the rabbis were worried about, like, pagan stuff, that, that there was some other some other God who was more powerful than Elohim, but in the in the Zohar, in the mystical traditions of Spain of the 13th century, 
there is a spectacular reading of these first three words in which Elohim is indeed the object, not the subject. They read Bereshit. And I never noticed today until today what, what we were saying now, what, what Carol Chester's question prompted us to notice, that disjunctive trope note, Bereshit space, bara Elohim, gives it actually goes very well with the Zohar's mystical reading, which is in the beginning, blank. The 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 Ain Sof, the, the mystical nothingness, bara Elohim, gave birth, as it were, or created the relatively more accessible face of God that is Elohim. So this, the Zohar imagines that that the great infinity gives birth to God. God is real, but in the mystical ways of thinking, there is a God beyond God. And for the Zohar's reading, it's in that space in between the words Bereshit and the blank space and then Bara the verb. You know, it may not be so different from, from the way cosmologists think of the Big Bang, which is that there's there's a kind of a nothingness that exists prior to everything. And then all of matter is condensed into this one little seed, which is a little, I mean, little, we're talking about, you know, one to the negative, I don't know how many, you know, power. And, and that contracts in on itself. And then it starts into like a, something that's the size of a golf ball. And then from that, there's this great explosion and sound and that, that's the universe and and it's still expanding today and and i you know we we who are not literalists or maybe i should speak for myself <laughs> no we're all not literalists we 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 find in that image you know some very very exciting and powerful poetry and that and that almost it dovetails with with your mysticism you know? i i think it, it does because the uh the the word Ayin, nothing, or ain so, no, with, with, limitless without end. Um, it doesn't, it works, it actually works a little, even a little bit better in English than it does in Hebrew. It is no thing. It is not, nothing as in void and empty, but it is so utterly preternaturally full. And that infinitely dense singularity that you talked about, Elliot, would contain all Everything. the matter in the universe. Yeah. That is like, you know, the billions and billions of stars and galaxies that are out there, all that matter was contained in that infinitely dense singularity. And then kaboom, the Big Bang happens 15 billion years ago, whatever it is. And and what was it before? Well, it was no thing. It was all things, but no one thing. So I think it flows very well to think that there is the totality, infinitely unified, Hashem Echad, infinitely unified, and then infinitely diverse. I, I think if we remember that the beginning image in Bereshit is one of water, and that also flows very well. So, okay, so let's let's take a look at the text. And, and I, we remarked before, you know, just in talking about the, the, the versions of creation that are found in chapter one and in chapter two, there, there are really two different kinds of accounts. And, and I like to point out the fact that, that in chapter one, there's so many different pairs or and that the only thing that doesn't have a pair is 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 God that God is is apart from everything in a sense that, that you know maybe our philosophical debate is is God part of that singularity or God outside of that singularity so and, I want to make a suggestion though, because 
there is one other thing that is not paired, and that is the seventh day. Yes. And the seventh day, as anyone familiar with the, the Torah knows, is composed almost exclusively of verbs. Right? Shabbat is not a noun in the seventh day. It's a verb. Vayishpot, Shabbat. And it suggests that God's heir is action or activity. But paradoxically, he's resting from that. So we have the active God who rests, and somehow that is the appropriate pair for God. And then later, I think, when Israel observes Shabbat, they become paired with God as well. Interesting. Right. So just, just to, Vayachulu Hashemayim Va'aretz, we know this uh, paragraph from the Kiddush. Vayichal Elohim, God ceased Asher Asa from all the work that he had done. Vayishpot, he rested. Mikomalachto Asher Asa from all the work that he did. Vayivarech, and he blessed the seventh day. Vayikadesh Oto, and he made it sanctified. Is that the first time that the word Kadosh or the root Kadosh occurs? Indeed. Yeah. So it's the first, it's, so, so chapter one introduces a, a, a whole bunch of things, including at its climax, the idea of, of, of Shabbat and the idea that there is something uh, separate and distinct and kadosh uh, about, that, about that unit of time. Uh, from here, you know, we, we go everywhere. I mean, it, there, there's just no shortage of, of material in this, in this Parsha to talk about, uh, namely uh, the creation of Adam and Eve, um, the, the whole episode in the Garden of Eden, the birth of Cain and Abel, and their rivalry. And then uh, we can go all the way towards the end of the Parsha as, as things get um, uh, you know, progressively worse. Um, is there a symmetry working at work here in this Parsha between all the goodness that starts, that we find at the beginning, Vayar Elohim Kitov, and um, and what happens? Jeremy, you want to pick that thread there? The the um, the parsha, you know, in a sense, there's, there's historical accidents. I mean, the, where the where the parshiot are broken up over the Torah, they they make you know some narrative sense, uh, you know, in the most for the most part. But you know, in ancient Palestine, ancient Eretz Yisrael, they didn't read an annual cycle of Torah. They read they read a three year cycle, and and they weren't our parshiot. Uh, so in a sense, there's a kind of a historical accident to how they all broke out. This one is actually, it's, it, it's almost like I couldn't imagine how it could be broken out otherwise, because you have all of the affirmation at the beginning of, of all that is good, all that is good, all that God has created is good. And that's in that first, you know, first chapter. But by the, by the time the fifth chapter rolls around, um, the, the sixth chapter, fifth chapter, sixth chapter, people have started to go bad. Um, in the in the land of in the days of Enosh, uh, people started to desecrate. It, it, the, the word may mean the, the real meaning of the of the word may be may be different, but um, uh, you know, in in the days of uh, of Enosh, uh, the people began to uh, desecrate the name of God. A midrashic reading, and uh, and later on, Lemeth, the father of Noah, will say, "This one is going to have to comfort us from all of our sadness." And at the very end, the last bit of the parasha, uh, and, and God saw how wicked uh, 
all humanity was in earth. And, and all the inclination of his thoughts was bad all day long. And when I say that, that there's like, you almost couldn't imagine how the Parsha goes otherwise. Tov, 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 tov at the beginning. Rabba ra'at ha'adam. Rak, ra kol The wickedness, the evilness. Is the, 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 the parasha, as it begins and as it ends, seems to be telling us a story of very, very, very auspicious beginning and very, very serious failure on the part of the human, you know, the human creature to be what they ought to be. So, yeah. but you have to quote the exact end of the Parsha, which is, God says, God says upon this, um, upon recognizing um, that humanity stinks so bad, um, God says, Ki ni ki asitim. I'm sorry I ever made these these rotten creatures. And as you say, but, but Noah found favor in God's eyes. And so God doesn't totally give up, you know, goes for a second chance. But I think that this tells us a story that any human being should be, you know, should resonate with, that the reality is uh, we have lots of potential for good, and we've got a pretty good track record on doing bad things as well. And so the struggle to be a moral human being in God's universe is, is to try to turn the knob a little bit from all the the uh, the rock rock kol hayom, the daily the daily incessant badness of our thoughts, to the people that we ought to be. Is this the pattern that's going to be the whole Torah and and by extension all of life? That you know we don't get we don't get a moment. I, of of exaltation. I mean, I guess the only moment of exaltation is really Shabbat, the first Shabbat. And even then, the Midrash tells us that it was, you know, not before you know sunset that that Adam and Chava sinned with the fruit of the garden, you know, of of the tree. That, that all of that happened, according to the Midrash, you know, on uh, before before the end of of uh, Friday afternoon, before Friday evening. They had already committed their sin, and that, in a beautiful way, it says that that embedded in Briyat uh, Olam in the creation of the world is the possibility of this transgression, and also the possibility of repentance. In other words, we have we don't have a perfect world. We we've been the world that was created for us is a world that is that is complete with with its flaws and imperfections and its possibilities. And, but I think that the the chat, the creation, the world of chapter one is a perfect world, because the last thing that God says about it is that it was very good. What is not perfect are human beings, and especially when human beings start acting, it's very difficult for a human being in the world that we live in, a world that's fraught with danger, that is difficult to make a living, to provide for one itself, one's family. Mm -hmm. To maintain a moral posture, you know. But I think I think we, I think we we are searching for that perfection. You know, when we, we try and create that perfection, uh, and the first thing that comes to mind, in addition to Shabbat, where the Garden of Eden is evoked, is is at at, at a wedding, at a Jewish wedding under the chuppah, we invoke Eden, and we are saying, in some ways, under the chuppah, that here we are, we are recreating albeit momentarily a perfect world and 
I don't know how you interpret the smashing of the glass, but the smashing of the glass kind of indicates like that world can't stay. That that world we don't get we don't get to live in a perfect world. We get to live in the real world. The, the, at, at some point, chapter two comes. At chapter two is, you know, they they sin with the fruit of the tree. They get kicked out, and they have to basically fend for themselves. In you know, in pain shall use give birth. You know? <laughs> you yeah, I mean this this is of course true, and um, and Cain, the first murderer, yeah. um, says, "Oh, I can't bear this," and God says, "Okay, I'm going to project you." You know, Cain, Cain says, is, is driven off east of Eden, and um, and God says, well, I'll give you a mark, which the mark of Cain, especially as, as uh, you know, you, you can you can imagine it as a mark of the demonic or something like that, but uh, here it's, it's a mark of, pro- of protection, and it's a symbol of, of God's protection, even when people, like, maybe don't deserve it. Uh, the, the, we, we invoke... Uh, this part of twice in weddings. One, the Yotzer Hadam, Uvetzelem Demut Tavnito, You have in the power of human sexuality and re- reproduction, by the way, also canine sexuality and reproduction, and bears and lions and everybody else. Um, you have in, in animal sexual reproduction the possibility of uh, uh, bringing more life. And that's referred to in the Tzalem and Demut phrase. And then there's So you may, may God uh, give delight to this young, you know, to this married couple, this couple under the chupa, as you gave delight to the first couple in Eden. Like So there you have a, a lovely image, just a totally lovely image of uh, happy Adam and Eve, not unhappy Adam and Eve. Uh, you know, happy, w- looking at a, at a promising future. And I, I would say that um, there's no. I don't see any need to say, ah, oh, it's, uh, it's always going to be bad. Actually, I see th- this parasha and, and the Torah generally, and this religion generally, as affirming that even in times of failure, of which there will be. Um, there's also going to be some protection. There's also going to be some joy and delight, and you're going to get another chance to read that tipcha on Breshit again uh, yeah. and, and start it all over again. There's there's always going to be protection. I mean, so so you know we're we're, we're living between this these this this beautiful beginning of of mystery and the this this quite horrific and tragic you know conclusion of the parsha, which is. You know, God. God basically wants to undo it. He wants to, you know, reset everything, basically. Um, and and I mean, so what is the message that we are supposed to go home with? What's a what's what are we supposed to talk about? You know, well, how are we supposed to renew ourselves? It's if it's so bleak. You know, I mean. And, and well, course, I think we, we take we take part of the lesson from Adam. In this first encounter with woman, you know, he says that this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And love is embracing the other. And what will come afterwards is when the other is repudiated. That's one way to read Cain and Abel. And that leads to disaster. 
you have to recognize that you are not the sum of creation, but you can find the sum of creation in an encounter with someone else. And that's the human destiny. God might be able to dwell alone, but human beings cannot. That's, that's extremely powerful. Um, I would say that one of the takeaways, and this is paradoxical, um, this is not tied up in a neat bow. This is tragic. And by tragic, I mean something that, that has painful consequences, but you know, it, it, it's not like bad, it's necessary. Uh, when when the conflict of good against good, sometimes you know there's still pain that is caused. It's no, it's not you know having the right motives or the right you know uh, pr pursuing the right end. There's, there's no guarantee that you're not going to cause pain. So anyway, why why am I raising that? I think the story of the failure in the garden. It simply cannot be that God wants the human beings to remain. Uh, in this unreal garden, God has created the human beings to rule over it. You know, be fruitful, multiple, fill the world. So I I think that it is impossible. I think that there's no way that I can't read chapter three. I don't want you to know the difference between good and evil. Don't, don't be curious about good and evil. No, I think that, that God wants the human being, tempts the human being, as it were, to violate with the inevitable consequence that you will have to go in the world, you have to fend for yourself and your childhood will end and you're gonna to have to be a grown up. And I would say that that the paradox is of that story is I want you to be, you know, like Elohim Yodim Tov Vara. I really do want you to be like angels or or the 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 beings of mental capacity who do know the difference between good and bad but it's going to hurt too and you're going to realize your limitations and you're going to realize the way you cannot live forever and you're going to have to be banished out into the into the big bad world so i just i just want to pick up on, on something you said and maybe you know it, this can apply as a, a theme in general for brashit for creation and perhaps you know all of the torah and even you know our our own philosophy which is that god wants something that 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 there is desire here there is and, and desire not in in any other sense but this intense longing and that that god as presented by the torah is a being that desperately wants something from from the the reality that is in in existence that god is outside of all of that and god may want to break through to that god wants human beings to be like god in the sense that they are god's image which which is not obviously a physical image but that that they are related to god in in uh, will and in ability and in creativity um, and in their freedom and their ability to to choose how to behave and that all of uh, creation is motivated by by a divine desire. I don't know how you, how you react to that, if, whether or not that is a valid frame to see at least the opening chapters, and if not, the whole Torah, because God does want to get through somehow. Uh, totally. I mean, you are, well, this is, you know, God in search of man. God, in, in Heschel's famous title, uh, God wants something of us, expects something of us, 
and by expect something, I mean, has endowed with us the capacity and has the faith in us to to be covenantal partners. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, I'm reminded of a line of Heschel's that uh, concludes, man is not alone, where he says that for a pious person, it is a privilege to die. And perhaps one of the lessons of the opening chapters of Bereshit is that human life is learning to live in the shadow of death. In the Garden of Eden, there is no death, but there really is not the life that we love either. Everything is handed to a person, right? You pick whatever you want. The fruit is right there. The vegetables, I imagine, for those people that eat them. And um, But it's, a, it's not an adult world. It's a child's world where everything is provided for you. We want to live in a world where we can make decisions and we can take responsibility, take ownership as it were. And that comes with a price. And one of the prices that we pay for that kind of life is that there is loss. And a good part of our life, I think, is learning how to live with that loss and not abandoning hope. Well, okay, so so on that theme alone, I mean, we could we could go really dark here and say, yes, the the, the this first parsha is filled with with that drama. There's only there's not only loss of their position in the garden, but but here are Adam and Eve, you know, and they are the parents of Cain and Abel, and uh, one day they're going to be bereaved parents, and and there is probably no more excruciating loss than that. They they have to. You know, come to terms with the fact that a son of theirs is not is not alive anymore, and that the other son is responsible for that, um, and that's unbearable. And that's I mean that 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 is such crushing morosity for the Torah to start with. Um, I, the only the only hope I think I can draw from that is is the midrash. The midrash is reading of of this, which is that that. Um, Adam doesn't want to continue with life. It, it, life has brought such sorrow, such misery. He doesn't. So you're, you're familiar with the Midrash on this beautiful line, which is that God doubles Adam's lust for Eve. And it's because of that that they have another child. Shit. Seth. Right? And, and that, that the remarkable testament of choosing life really is already embedded in the beginning, so, so you know, one of the themes, the themes that we ended the Torah with, which is that you've got to go on, that you have to, when faced with such extraordinary challenges, you have to make the choice of life. And, and here we have the, the archetypal characters, Adam and Eve, essentially making that choice at the very beginning. I think that's, that's um, I mean, want to react to that? <laughs> well, I think that's what gives the power to the difference between Shate, Seth, and Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are brought into the world. Cain is named by his mother Eve. Havel apparently acquires the name um, in some mysterious way. But, <laughs> but Seth is in the image and form and likeness of Adam. So even after losing two sons, because Havel is killed and Cain has to leave. In exile. He's in exile for manslaughter. But Adam can still procreate and recreate, as it were, because the next son will also bear his likeness. 
So even though his son is dead, he is not dead, both in the physical and perhaps we could say a metaphysical way. Yeah. He has something to pass on. And there go. No, no, go ahead. So, and that I think is a it's a powerful lesson because every time we get to a place where we think there is no hope, there is there's hope. A little bit of hope. I think that's the joy of reading the the, the Bible. The joy of reading the Torah is, is is once you think it's gonna you can't recover from this. There is recovery from this, and and they're able to live. Go ahead. Sir. This is the um, well, first of all, especially the power of the midrash that you said, uh, the wisdom of the sex drive and love drive um, is so overwhelmingly powerful. So, you know, Adam's ready to give up and and it so happens that he actually is a, a living animal with all of the instincts for preservation and growth. And, and you know, that's, that's why it goes on. Like you can't help yourself. Um, you have to go on. You have to go on. You know, even at the moment that you can't. The names of the characters, the three, these three characters, are, are very, very interesting because Cain um, Kaniti Eve says Kaniti Ishatadunai. I made a person with God's help, with along with God. I'm a partner. And Cain Kaniti, it means in in Hebrew, liknot doesn't mean to in classical Hebrew, liknot does not mean to purchase the way it does in modern Hebrew. It's the same as laasot to make. You've got his koneshamayim ba'aretz. Doesn't mean God went to the store and bought heaven and earth. It means that God made heaven and earth. Um, and and she is kaniti. She says, "I did this. I made it." And that's a word connoting stability. Hevel. The word hevel literally means breath or evanescence. Or so we talk about this when we we're talking about the book of Kohelet. It, it doesn't. It, it can mean the vanity is a, is a nuance on that word. But the, the person named possession. Or, or or tangible creation murders the person named evanescent you know floating away breath uh, is driven away and then Adam says shatli Elohim zera acher tachat hevel shet means give God gave me uh, another offspring instead of hevel ki Kain, whom, whom Cain had killed uh, I think that the this sense of, uh, of if, if, if the name Cain connoted permanence and the name Hevel connoted impermanence, the name Shet uh, connotes a kind of a receipt of a divine gift. And I, I think that that's like, you know, that, that fits the way we're talking about this story. Tremendous tragedy. I mean, Adam and Eve aren't, aren't, aren't you know, people like just some other character in the story and this happened to them and they were born here and then they went to school and then they had a job. Like the archetypal humanity, the archetype of humanity are people who love and lose and pick it up and go on pick and, and, and accept, accept uh, a divine gift of Zera Acher Tacha Heaven. There, there is uh, so much to, to learn from them, even though they, they are in some ways, you know, I don't want to say mythological creatures, but they are, they are representative. They stand in there for us. You know, it's not an accident that we... Um, you know, call to mind these figures in our imagination at the Jewish wedding uh, and at Shabbat. I mean, we are recreating literally this story every Shabbat, certainly by invoking creation when we recite the Kiddush. You know, whether it, it, we are aware of this consciously or subconsciously, we're, 
you know, the, the Judaism is trying to put us back there and create this perfect world, which is Shabbat uh, on a week-to-week basis. I think, um, you know, that, that's certainly embedded here in, in the text. Um, any any other comments? Anything you want to Hall of Fame verses or or uh, other other easy easy things to say? <laughs> Hall of Fame verses. Well, I just want to draw attention to this idea that Cain is twice cursed. Yeah. Because he's the farmer who lives with the curse of the land from his father. And after he kills his brother, God curses him. And he's not able to go back to the land. He has to go to a city. Yeah. And in the city, you're dependent on other people, I think, for your food, even in ancient times. Although they had much more... Um, extensive agriculture in cities than we have today. And, you know, he's kind of a, a hapless fellow, Kane. And I think that sometimes we judge him too harshly. And okay, one of know, the <laughs> I want to say it's very interesting. You know, when we have, whenever we've put Kane on trial in for with adolescence, they always they always um, exonerate him. <laughs> it's not his fault. <laughs> They blame God. I don't want, well, I, you know, so getting back to the line about Kaniti at Isha, or Kaniti at Adonai, that Eve acquired Cain with God, that maybe Cain, in a sense, was too reflective of God. And the real gift of Sheikh was that he was like his father, yeah. as the verse says. This is so fascinating. I think this is where we have to... We have I, to I, 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 got, I got a whole thing verse. I got a whole thing Go verse. So after they get... After they get uh, banished from the garden, um, chapter 3, verse 23, God dispatched them, drove them out of the Garden of Eden, to till the soil from which they were taken, banished the human, and God stationed east of Eden these cherubs and the, the, who were holding the flaming twisting swords to guard the way to the tree of life. I'm going, like, I'm going to read a little fancifully and say I think the simple semantic meaning probably is uh, to guard the way to the tree of life and make sure that the human beings don't try to go back to the garden and don't try to, to take that, that tree which they're not entitled to but how about if it's the other way and say lishmor et derech etzachayim to guard the road to make sure it stays a little bit open that there is some way back to Aden to the etzachayim that you can return to very nice very nice so but then we're left with one of the perplexities of the parsha so what happened to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil <laughs> so is it something that we continue to eat the fruit from? Or is it a one-time thing? And one of the curiosities is that tree is not located in the garden, right? The tree of life is in the middle. doesn't say where the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is. And yet that's the one they found. There's a Kabbalistic motif that, that the two trees have a common base. And and um I, I don't know exactly. I mean, I've heard this. I can't tell you a book that says this, that that uh, I heard it from Mark Green. Um, so 
he knows from what she speaks, that that at least one version has the problem is that you ate, and maybe he made this up, that you ate from the tree of knowledge without the tree of life. Like you have that to was have Kafka. Kafka? Well, Kafka that's... said that was the sin that they ate from the wrong tree. All right. Well, you have to eat them, you have to eat them both. We 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 have come to the end of our time. And my question at the beginning was, how do you renew yourself in Torah? Well, you get two of your best friends <laughs> to talk about it and to ask questions and to ask the wildest question possible and to see yourself in the text and to, to, to start anywhere. And you'll have a conversation. It will take you to lots and lots of different places. And so you've answered the question then, where are you? We hope that you are with us on Parsha Talk. Indeed. And with that, thank you so much for watching. Keep sending us your comments and your love. Shana Tova, one last time. Have a wonderful renewal of the cycle of Torah. And we will see you next week for the new edition. Shana Tova, Shabbat Shalom.